So picture picture this. It's America's Funniest Home Videos. How many know what that is? Okay. It's a young boy. He's shown on Christmas morning. He comes out of his bedroom pretty early, races down the hall, comes down the stairs to see a very large present beside the tree, and he ran over to tear it open to see what was inside. I mean, the paper went flying (laughs) everywhere, and bows and everything attached to that gift. Wow! And he said, as he danced around, he did the happy dance, as he danced around that room, wow, wow, just what I wanted, wow, it's just what I needed, wow, 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 wow. Then looking down at it again, he says with a puzzled look on his face, what is it? (laughs) On what we call that very first Christmas, The angels announced the birth of a new child. The heavens were opened and all the company of heaven broke into praise. Shepherds went racing to Bethlehem to see what it was all about. And for more than 2,000 years, we've been jumping up and down at least once a year and saying, wow, it's just what I wanted. It's exactly what I needed. But in the next breath, we look again inside that stable and we ask, what is it? Why did God become man? What is Christmas all about? And I'm going to leave you with this this morning. I call it the three R's of Christmas. It's amazing to me that an event that happened just over 2,000 years ago can still cause traffic jams today. That's the power of God. What's so special about Christmas? I'll tell you what's special about it. It is the hinge of history. Everything swings on that. Listen, even our calendars are dated from the reference point of Jesus Christ. God, you see, split history with the event of Christmas. Everything is either A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, or B.C., as we call it, before Christ. So what is so special about Christmas? Well, we could go to Luke 2. We could go uh, to another gospel. We could go to something that's maybe already been shared. But I think what we ought to do is go to the writing of Paul as he writes from the Mamertine prison to the Christians at Philippi in the second Philippian uh, In the Philippian letter, the second chapter, and I think the answer is right there for us. Because we have right there one of the greatest explanations in the Bible of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. This is our bedrock, my friends. This is the very foundation of everything that we believe. So the Apostle Paul is writing, and in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, and I'll Have you follow this uh, on the screen? And if you want to read with me, I invite you to do so. Your attitude should be the same. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, so he has has 
he has, he has the nature of God because he is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant or a slave being made in human likeness. So the first of the three R's this morning, the three R's of Christmas, is reality. The reality of Christmas. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Paul says our attitude ought to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Even though he was the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And, and what about that word grasp? What does it mean? It means something to cling to and to hold on to. What does all that mean? It means, and it comes from a Greek word, harpagmas, and comes from the root word, which means to choose or to be used for one's own advantage. Jesus then had a choice. He could have held on to and retained his divine nature. However, he chose to release it and to be, become human. Listen to these next two words, for us. He chose to, to set aside the divine nature and take on the form of humanity for us. He chose to become a servant or a slave for us. The reality of Christmas is that God chose to become one of us. You know, when the Allied fighting forces of the Second World War landed on Normandy, D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, that was really big news around the world. It was also a clear victory that the tide of the war had changed and a sign that the Second World War would be won. But i got to just stand here and tell you, and I'm a, I'm a son of a veteran of that campaign, i got to tell you, that's nothing compared to the news that God invaded Earth. We, the Allied forces, invaded Normandy. But that pales into insignificance to the fact that God invaded Earth. Huh? When Richard M. Nixon was the president of the United States, he said in a speech one time that the greatest moment in human history was when man walked on the moon. But Billy Graham later corrected him in a nice way. It wasn't being disrespectful. And he said, no, the greatest moment in human history was not when man walked on the moon, but rather when God walked on the earth. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he walked among us. That television personality of many years, a man by the name of Larry King, once was asked in an interview a particular question. And the question was this, Larry, if you had a chance and could select any one person across all of history to interview on your show, who would it be? And Mr. Larry King answered, and he said that he would like to interview Jesus Christ. The questioner, that really stunned the questioner. And so the questioner followed with this one. And what would you like to ask him, Mr. King? And King replied, I'd like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. 
Stay with me. You see, the answer to that question would define history for me, said Larry King. My friends, the greatest news of all time is that God came in the flesh. Jesus was eternally and equally God. He was infinite creator, but laid aside his divinity to become a finite creation. A lot of people in the world today have a hard time with that. They can't understand why and how God would become a man and what it was all about, so they, so they reject him. They ignore him. They go on through life passing him by. They accept Jesus maybe as a great man, even a great prophet, a good teacher, a moral figure of, uh, to, to, to emulate. There's only one problem with all that. Jesus never claimed to be any of those things. Jesus never said, I'm a prophet, and of all the prophets, I'm a great prophet. Never did he make a boast like that. Over and over and over again, the Bible repeats, and Jesus proclaims that he is God. Let's consider a few verses from the Gospel of John, starting at verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that, li and that life was the light of men or of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and or but the darkness has not overcome it. Or listen, there's another word for that, overcome. And the darkness has not understood it. Couldn't comprehend it. And for many people in our world today still can't. The date was December 17th. The year was 1903. Only a few in the room today would remember that. You, you heard who they were, huh? Yep. Orville and Wilbur Wright made their first flight of an airplane at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. That unbelievable flight lasted 59 seconds, and it traveled a great distance of 850 feet. Wilbur rushed to the local telegraph office, and he sent the following message home, and it read, it read We have flown <laughs> for 59 seconds. We will be home for Christmas. Upon receiving the telegram, their sister Catherine went to the newspaper office just immediately, and she told the editor of the paper that her brothers had gone on the new flying machine, and they informed the editor that, that, that they had flown that machine for 59 seconds and that they were going to be home for Christmas if he'd like to set up an interview with them. And he told her, Catherine, that's nice, that's such a nice thing, and I'll be sure to put something in the paper regarding the boys. And on December the 19th, just two days later, the local paper placed the following headline on the sixth page of the paper, and it read, Wright Brothers, Home for Christmas. <laughs> Listen to that. The most important story of the year, man's first flight, and the editor of the newspaper missed it. Missed it. The story of Christmas 
doesn't start 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. It started in eternity past when our creator God decided he would give himself to save his creation. And so the cradle, or we, we sang today the manger, or that whole, that whole symbol of the crash and of, the, of, of that baby Jesus, the cradle reminds us of God's choice to come and be part of his creation. The three R's of Christmas. Number one, reality. Secondly, the reason for Christmas. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, moving down to verse 8, and I read, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This verse is clear. It says that Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus died a cruel and horrible death, listen to this, for us. Christmas makes no sense without the cross. Not only did Jesus voluntarily lay, voluntarily lay aside his divine nature, he did that, but he also voluntarily went to the cross and laid down his physical life, listen to this, for us. He didn't have to. He was God. At any moment during his trial and crucifixion, he could have called 10,000 angels. I don't know why he would have needed 10,000, but it would have been for dramatic effect, I guess, and stop the process at any point. He didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to share all that, all that awful suffering and, and, and it, what looked like a defeat. Nobody put him there without his permission. So then why did he allow it to happen? I thought you would never ask God loves you. Jesus came to the earth to show us God's love by dying on the cross for us. My friend, the manger or the cradle and the cross show us what God was willing to give. Listen to this. Listen to this. For us. They show us how much God truly loves us. They show us that God wants relationship with us. You know John 3.16 as well, probably better than I do. For God so loved the world, if you know it, say it with me, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but... But... But, but what? But have... Not will have, not is going to have, not might have, not at some future day or age or, or eon will have, but have eternal life. The eternal life that you possess today by being part of God's family is eternal in that you have it now. It's a present tense possession. 
Let me tell you about a little girl who discovered a great secret from her grandparents. Ever since she could remember, her grandparents had played a little secret game. They would leave the word smiley around the house for one another. Grandfather would write it down on something and then stuff it in the sock drawer of grandma. Smiley. In grandma's little world, she would trace the word smiley on the steam on this bathroom mirror so grandpa would see it when he took his morning shower or when he was shaving. And this went on and on and on over the years. And over those years, they competed to see who could find the most creative ways to leave a smiley note for the other. This was before emojis, okay? When Grandma lost her many-year fight with cancer, I don't know, why do we say when Christian people die of cancer that they lost the fight? I think they won the fight. Anyway, I guess that would be another sermon for another time. And when Grandma lost that fight or whatever she did with it, her casket was wreathed with a huge bouquet of flowers. And on the yellow ribbon around the bouquet was one word, smiley. The thing that held her grandparents' marriage together, the girl said, the thing that nourished them in life and sustained them in death, smiley. Oh, what does that mean, smiley? S-H-M-I-L-Y. Let's all say it together. Smiley. See how much I love you. First John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died, get this, get this, for us. You see, Christmas and Easter both remind us of God's great love. Get this, get this, for us. Jesus not only decided to become a human, but he also decided to suffer a horrible death, get this, for us, on Calvary's cross. I'm sharing with you today the three R's of Christmas. Number one, reality. Number two, reason. And number three, the result. Picking the uh, reading up in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 9, 9, 10, and 11, here's what we read. Again, follow along or read with me. Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. How many knees? How many knees? How many knees? In heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue, oh, how many tongues? How many tongues? 
Every tongue shall confess, or there's another word that can go in there, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what's the result of Christmas? Well, let me just share with you in case you, in case you didn't get it. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what God has known for the ages. The truth of all truth. That Jesus Christ is Lord. It'll happen. One day, every person on earth will know the truth. Oh, Lord, bring us that day. All of the arrogance in this world that puts itself up against Jesus, all of the denial and all of the pseudoscientific and all of the psychological and philosophical arguments that are put up will fall by the wayside. And how many knees? Every knee will bow. And how many tongues? Every tongue will confess what? That Jesus is Lord. On that day, everyone throughout history will understand this unbelievable truth. Every nationality, every age group, every male, every female, every religion, every cult, every, everyone will say, Jesus is Lord. And that will all be to the glory of God the Father. I mean, I mean the people are going to know the truth, the truth. You and I think we have a handle on it sometimes. Oh, my. I got thinking about this and made a list. All the politicians are going to be there. Oh, and they're going to say, no, 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 not me, not you, not them, not us. Jesus is Lord. God hasten the day, amen? No, I, really. All of the rock stars will say, Jesus is Lord. Don't, don't worship me, I'm not Lord. All of the scientists, all of the professors, all the businessmen, all the homemakers, all the ordinary people will say, Jesus is Lord. Everyone. Did I say everyone? I meant everyone. That's just such an unbelievably staggering verse. And every knee will bow. And every tongue confess. <laughs> That takes in billions of people. What? That Jesus is Lord. <clears throat> the issue is not, will you admit it, that Jesus is Lord? Because one day everyone's going to admit it. So the answer right now is yes, even if you're saying no. The issue is simply when you do it. You see... You can either admit it now in love and honor and respect, and I hope you will, or I hope you have, or I hope that if you haven't, today could be your day, it'd be wonderful, or you will admit it later and find that, that you've been wrong and you made a big mistake, and I hope if you do find that, that you find it before it is too late, and here's why, <laughs> because you and I are included in this every, yeah, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's so sad because for a lot of people, this realization might come too late. I'm hoping I'm right in saying that for most of us here today, we've already made that declaration. 
at some point in the past you understood the truth as you knew it and the gospel message as you understood it and you, you received Christ as your personal Savior and you already made that declaration in your life, for your life, and by your life that Jesus is Lord. God bless you if you've done that. Here's what the writer of the Hebrews said in chapter 12, verse 2. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. I know you got a lot of things on your mind right now. This is the 4th of December. That means three weeks from today is that big day. And you're wondering about this, and you're wondering about that, and you're worried about something else. And then there's 16 other things that will take place between now and then. So the writer of Hebrews says, slow down, take it easy, take a deep breath, and just fix your eyes for a bit on Jesus. Why? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. So he's the one, shall I say, who thought it up, and he's the one who made it happen. Who for the joy, and this verse has always just almost confounded me. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Oh, yippee, I'm going to the cross. No, he wasn't thinking, yippee, I'm going to the cross. He was thinking beyond the cross. You know why? Because he was thinking of you and me. You say, is there a misprint here? Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Don't worry about the shame part of it. And he sat down eventually at the right hand of the throne of God. So what's the result of Christmas? Have you ever even thought of this? Well, because of Christ's birth and death, we have been adopted into the family of God. We have a personal relationship with him. And one day we are going to be living with him forever. You say, but what if we die here? If you know Jesus is your Savior, last breath here is first breath there. Earthly contaminated environmental air here will be celestial air there. Relax. One of the ancient kings of Persia, named Shah Abbas, loved to mingle with his people, and he would do it in disguise. Once, dressed as a poor man, he descended the long flight of stairs, dark and damp, down to the tiny cellar where the fireman, seated on ashes, was tending the furnace for the king's place. The king sat down beside him, ashes and all, and began to talk. Stayed for some time, and at mealtime, the fireman produced some coarse black bread and a jug of water, and they ate and drank together. The king went away but returned again and again, for his heart was filled with compassion, with sympathy for this poor man. And he was so lonely, and his life was so destitute. They became very good friends over time. At last the king thought, I'll tell him today who I am, and I'm going to ask him what gift I can give him. 
So he did. And the fireman didn't ask for a thing. The king was astonished. He says, don't you realize that I'm the king and I can give you anything? I can give you a city. I can give you a fortune. I can give you a palace. I can give you a throne. And the man gently replied, I understand, your majesty. But you've already given the greatest gift a man could receive. You left your elegant surroundings up there to sit with me here in this dark, lonely place. You could give nothing more precious. You've given yourself. And that is more than I could ever deserve. My only request would be, and here's my one request, is that you never withdraw that gift of your friendship. Beautiful story. Let me say, what a joy, and I mean it. What a joy it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. What a joy it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. What a joy it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm an old man. You make it hard on me. Here's the truth. God chose to come and become one of us and then showed his love by dying. Get this, get this. For us. He showed us something else, though. I hope every year is hearing this. He also showed us our worth by inviting us to live with him forever, not simply as our Lord, but also as our dear eternal friend. You've got a lot of ammunition now when someone says, I don't know, what is this Christmas all about anyway? Are they going to get an earful? But here's the sad reality, even this Christmas. There's so many people who have not made the personal declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. Many of them, they may not understand this truth. You may have come in here today and you didn't really ever understand it. And you couldn't put it together. Well, put it together before it's too late. Some of those people will not understand that through the cradle and the cross... There's actually a way to have peace with God. It's more than a century ago now. Argentina and Chile were almost at war over a border dispute between the two nations high up in the Andes Mountains. And war was a very real possibility in 1902. Christians around the world urge these nations to encourage their governments to settle the matter peacefully and without the use of swords. The governments of Argentina and Chile listened to these people, and they agreed to submit the matter to arbitration, and when an agreement was reached, it was decided that a statue should be placed on the border to remind the people that they should work together for peace for both nations. 
That statue is a 26-foot-high bronze Christ. He's holding his right hand out to bless the two nations. Huh? And you notice a cross in his left hand. That statue still stands 120 years later. It's called Christ the Redeemer of the Andes. It's 12,572 feet above mean sea level. Listen to this. The bronze out of which that statue was made came from old cannons. A plaque at the base of the statue reads, it reads in Spanish, so I'm uh, translating, Sooner shall these mountain crags come, crumble to dust than Chile and Argentina shall go to war again with each other. What a fantastic testimony. And just like that, listen to me, friend, Jesus stands today between us and the Heavenly Father. And because of that cross, we have found peace with God. And that is the difference that Christ's coming into this world has made. Fast forward 60 years to 1962, missionaries Don and Carol Richardson went to New Guinea to bring the good news of Christ to a group of people known as the Sawi, the S-A-W-I tribes. The Sawi were headhunters. They were cannibalistic tribe who... They used the skulls of their victims as pillows. Don Richardson wrote a book about his experience. He called it Peace Child. Maybe somebody's read it. He began his work among the Sawi by reading through the Gospel of Matthew, but to his consternation, when he, when he got to the part of Judas betraying Jesus, everyone cheered. And he didn't know why, so he asked the elders what, what was going on. He found out that in their culture... Credibility was built around treachery. The one who was the most devious was the one who had the most respect in their tribe. Whoa. The missionaries searched for every possible means to explain the greatness of God's gift of truth and pure love to a people whose values were all based on nothing but deceit. But one day it changed. Don witnessed a solemn ceremony between two of the warring tribes of the Sawi. One of the chiefs walked over to the other and handed him a child. In fact, it was the chief's own son. You see, their custom had been that peace would come between two tribes only if the chief of one of the tribes would give his son over to the people of the other tribe. Thus the title... The son was called the peace child. You see, the chief would place his own son in the hands of a people who hated him and had been his enemies, and it was the only way to bring peace between them. But man, there's something far greater in this story Don Richardson saw. In that act, he saw the perfect way to bring peace and to bridge that gap and help people understand what God has done for them. God has given His 
peace child into the hands of an unfriendly, unwelcoming, and hostile world in order to bring the hostility between us and us and him to an end. How do I know? Thanks for asking. Remember, the angels at Jesus' birth proclaimed peace on earth. That's not all. Goodwill toward men. So the three hours of Christmas are the reality, that's the cradle, the reason, that's central, you see, that's the cross, and the result is the crown, the crown of glory. I hope you see it now unblemished. I hope you see it in a new light. I hope you see it in a deeper fashion. I hope you see it as it's meant to be seen. See what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Is Lord. <laughs> yeah. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, will acknowledge. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord <laughs> to the glory of God the Father. One question remains. It begs your attention. Do you know him? Do you know God's peace child? Are you in an intimate personal relationship with him? Are you living that redeemed life? Do you ever redeem a coupon? Do you ever redeem something? Do you ever have something and lost it and then had to go to a redemption place or, uh, you know, one of those shops where they sell stuff that people steal? Have you ever, a pawn shop, thank you. I haven't been there lately, so I forgot what it was. I'm close to it, though. And you notice something that was yours? You don't know how it got there? And you know, it wasn't like yours, it didn't look like yours, it, didn't, it was yours. And the price on it was unbelievable, but you went in and paid it. And you got it back. Listen, listen. And that item is now twice owned. That's redemption. That's redemption. Yeah, everybody's made in the image of God. But after five generations, the image got very blurred. And I don't believe we really look like him now because we're still living under the sin results. I'm talking about are you redeemed? I'm talking about are you twice owned? I'm talking about have you accepted him as your personal savior, your personal redeemer, your personal friend, the one who you're gonna, with whom you're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever? It's such a joy to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Such a joy. Do you know him? Do you know him? I hope you do. And if you don't, I hope you'll make today the day that you give this serious consideration. 
Maybe even the day that you step forward and say, I'm serious about this, and I want to know him as my personal Savior. So you'll speak to someone here close by, or you'll mention it to me, or you'll record it on one of the Connect cards and leave it with us as you go. This is important stuff. Yes, it's Christmas and all of the Christmas trappings sometimes kind of bury the real meaning of what it's about. This is what it's about. This is the reality. This is the reason. And that's the result. I hope you know him. I pray you will know him. I ask you to join me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we feel that We've done what you've instructed us to do, and that is to present the gospel and to make it clear and to give those who are still outside of your grace the opportunity to accept you and to know all the benefits of that personal relationship with you. As we continue in worship and as we lift up your name and praise, may our hearts also be burdened for those that maybe are close, maybe have heard but have not responded, or maybe those that don't know or have never heard or are, are alien to the gospel. They're just not aware of their need, whatever the case may be. And for those of us and those in this fellowship who know you and love you and trust you. May every one of our lives count for you in a way that others will see Jesus in us. We thank you that you gave your peace child for each one of us. Help us to respond in love and confidence. In Jesus' name. Amen.